This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This month, the Black Dahlia Murder will release their new album, Verminous, via Metal Blade Records. Verminous is the band's most dynamic, rousing, and emotional release to date, and achieves this without compromising one iota of heaviness. Purchase your copy now of the Black Dahlia Murders Verminous, metalblade.com slash tbdm. Once again, metalblade.com slash tbdm. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. What is going on, everybody? It is I, your host, Petter Spych. I am always joined by... Hey, scamp. It's your buddy Gooch, Brandon Hahn. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch. And make sure to follow our other co-hosts, Jocelyn Sharp, J-O-Z-A-L-Y-N Sharp, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp, and Sylvia Alvarado at It's the Sylvia on Instagram and Twitter. You guys want to follow me? I'm at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter. Rise to Offend Official on Instagram. This week, we got John Keevil from Warbringer back on the show. We're here to talk about their latest record, Weapons of Tomorrow, which is coming out this Friday, guys, April 24th. Always a great chat with John. Hang in there for that one. But until we get there, guys, let's jump into the Metal Sucks News. Get the news that you bell. Get the facts straight. That's what we want around here. Truth. <laughs> First news story we're going to talk about. Danny Carey from Tool. Tool. Love Tool. Great. Said maybe they will write another EP during quarantine. Liar! No. <laughs> really? I will not listen to there that. There is no way that's going to happen, dude. There's no. It took you 13 years to put up Fear Inoculum. And you're talking about putting out another record during the quarantine, which may be another two weeks. Unless, like, we don't know. Unless they wrote songs in those 13 years that are already done, which is possible, right? But then think about the art that goes into the Tool record. Think about all the insanity that goes into it. Like, man, I don't believe it. If it happens, I'm stoked. But I, there's no way I can see Yeah, it. you're going to open a, a up the Tool, tool record and it's going to be stick figures and you're going to be like, I don't get it. No, this is you going inside your sub- subconscious. I'm like, I can't get that from stick figures. Like, fuck. I can, I can, I can from stick can figures. My subconscious is all about oh, stick yeah. figures. Feel the music. And, those, and the stick figure boobs. That's right, crazy yeah. And then all of a sudden somebody will climb out of the boobs and then crawl up and then they'll climb into your ear. That's a Tool video. Mm. That's everyone. It's like the, something, some, yeah, something, some, somebody yeah. pops out of a weird orifice and then they go into another weird orifice. That's Tool. Let me just say this. I would be stoked if there was a Tool EP. Are you kidding me? Yes. But I just... There's, it's exactly what we could use right now. There's... there's. I just... All I I'm saying is, is the when excitement... When I read that, I, I was like, man, stop it. Again, <laughs> again, Tool is one of those bands that is... They're not held to a genre. They can just be Tool and they can experiment and they can do all types of stuff. That's what we've come to expect with them. 
And I really do think them putting out Fear Inoculum was huge for rock and metal. It was oh, huge. It was, it was huge. But I will say this now to go against my initial reaction of I don't believe you is that they were planning on touring this whole time. They had to cancel it, obviously, due to the situation. And um, maybe they're like, we don't have anything to do because we planned a tour, so why don't we get in a studio together? I still don't buy it. But, man, I, I hope it happens. Because last time we talked, I mean, when Fear Knock Them came out, we, us three, it was, I think, me, you, and Jaws at the time, we were like, will there be another tour record? And both of you guys were like, no, this is the last one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I think they're done. You don't I, think they're doing another one? I don't so, yeah. think they're ever going to do another one. But again, but now, it's like, during a situation like this, mm. this is exactly the type of situation that an artist needs because... It's going to blow up their ego. So in other words, oh, you know, look at the nation. We're falling apart. Everybody's angry. Everybody's this. This could be as this hopefully with Maynard and, and Danny Carey and Chancellor. And, you know, like hopefully they're like, oh, America needs us. Let's get into the recording studio and help them. Like maybe maybe this will give them like a renewed sense of urgency. I don't know. I mean, Grant, I am reaching so fucking I, far. I, I tell like, you, you remember when Michael Jordan in Space Jam, when he reached all the way across the... You're ruining the movie. Yes, <laughs> but that's how far I reached Did for that. Did they remake that with LeBron? They're gonna... I Okay, still they're gonna. How long has it been in the works? I, I think I think they're working on it now. <laughs> this is the this is the tool album of films. Right? <laughs> Space Jam. He was a cavalier when this was happening. I right. swear to God. Yeah. Right, Space Jam with LeBron coming to you soon. 2030. Right. When he retired, he's like, we'll put this out. Anyways, well, that was a way off topic thing. So, Tool, please put out the EP. Um, we don't believe you. We're not going to hold our breath on that. Tool, you just made me make a Space Jam reference. That's how you did this. Mm. I'm putting that on you. I, 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 I'm putting that on you. No. I'm putting that on mm -hmm. you. You can't put your Space Jam mm -hmm. reference on. Mm -hmm. You know Michael Jordan reached out at the end of the movie and dunked from half it. court? That's Tool's fault. I won't stand for it. <laughs> do some feel-good stuff and full uh, next story we are going to talk about. We've been avoiding this for a while because it's been such nonsense, but it's been a lot of fun nonsense, and that is the uh, guy from Trapped. His name is Chris Taylor Brown. Okay, guess what? We just <laughs> learned his name, and he will always be the guy from Trapped. He is, uh, he's been on Twitter like just attacking everybody and just forcing a, a, a pro, uh, I guess my band is good and people like me and they don't think they're bad. And my streaming of this one hit I wrote is huge. That's true. The streaming of that song is, is big. He's probably making a decent chunk of change off of the song. For people that don't know, there's a song called Headstrong. I guarantee you heard it. You know, it's, it's plays in every athletic yeah. film that's geared towards the yeah, Midwest. They'll play, they'll play that song uh, with a, melee of sports right after the commercial break. I don't know this for a fact, but I guarantee you the trailer for the film Friday Night Lights had that song in it. <laughs> don't know that for a fact. Didn't even check it. Varsity Blues, if exactly. that song came out in that time, that would have been in the trailer. It might have been the entrance song for the former wrestler Draws. Yeah, I, mean, I truly <laughs> feel, oh, that guy died. Steve, no, did he? Yeah. Oh. Why'd you have to bring up like the All guy right. that Steve, died? Steve Blackman? There, he's alive. <laughs> Al Snow? Al Snow's there. He's kicking. <laughs> Don't don't go the, the dude that died. That guy's name draws. His name was Puke. Yes, I remember that was his nickname. Because in the Beyond the Mat documentary, Vince McMahon from WWE was like, he's gonna puke, he, and he was like trying to sell this guy's puke, and he would just throw up on on, on spot. Yeah, it was the worst gimmick I've ever heard. And in he my was a former life, football player. Dude. That's what it was. He was a football player, and he was lining up <laughs> like across the D line, and then he threw up on the ball. We're focused today. Yeah, exactly. Okay. He, he really would throw up on the ball. He threw up on the ball, and then he started entering arenas to headstrong. 
Uh, well, no, no that didn't I got that. I'm sure that didn't. R.I.P. Draws. <laughs> he was a good wrestler. He was he was a road warrior, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, remember that. That I was like that draws. Was a, that was a good time. Anyway, so uh, but it was a great random wrestler name, <clears> and then and then you brought up what really happened. Now I feel terrible. Yeah. So headstrong uh, is probably many wrestlers are coming out to that song. So uh, look, dude, give give credit where it's due. I know people hate doing it because this guy's been an absolute idiot on social media. And it's not because of who he's supporting. We're not blasting him because of his supporting of the president. It's the fact that, dude, we get it. You know what I mean? Like you sound, you sound just people that just go on and on and on on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like you look unhinged. You look unhinged, especially when, especially when like with Twitter, it's so funny because you could, you only have like a certain amount of character. So you're going to see like 10 different tweets all about the same thing. You wrote all that with your thumbs. Like, Take a look at what you're writing and back off a little bit. If you look at the Trap Twitter account, and I'm sure a lot of people are these days because of all the news stories that are following and all the feuds that he's starting these days, it looks like he's drunk. Like, he's just a drunk guy screaming at everybody and saying, like, you know, random unhinged. things. Unhinged. Completely unhinged. That's what it looks like to me. However, again, I gave him some credit. He, he did something. He's not an active musician. He's not a musician that matters. I know he has a new record out and all that stuff, but he... There's there is a relevance to music and art and all that stuff. If people are going to see you because of the one hit you did a long time ago, I'm not saying you're not relevant, but you don't have this voice like you're an active person. I think in, in the arts. I think when you're you have your back up against the wall like this guy does. Yeah, he and, does. And, okay, when you have your back up against the wall like this guy does, there is a sink or swim moment where you go, I have to either uh, get new fans. Mm-hmm. Or he's probably ha- getting them right now. That's what I'm getting yeah. at. Or I have to piss some people off to get new fans. All I need is attention. That's what I'm saying. Like he's got his back up against the wall. And again, when you go out there and you tweet, and I don't know how many followers that he has, but mm. when you go out there and you tweet something as divisive as supporting the president, which is crazy just to say, but that's the times that we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. It's like when you when you throw your support behind the president, yeah, they the people that love the president they're only going to they're only going to focus on everybody that hates him so now they're going to unite with everybody that loves him that's that's what they're hoping they're hoping that that kickstarts his fan base and and i mean he got reactions from ice t which is huge to me I'm like why would ice t react to this guy he got reactions recently from new york hardcore legend danny diablo makes sense but and like i said you can see when you read these tweets of like there's this underlining kind of weird like Let's fist fight. I mean, I think he tried to get in a fist fight with Riley from Power Trip. This guy, Chris Taylor, right? He's been everywhere. Like I said, it looks like a, if you read his tweets, it's like this guy's drunk or there's something way off. Like he's in a bottle of whiskey and he's got that phone and that glass screen is just right. And the courage in the glass screen is crazy. So the point is, though, is that it makes him feel like he's doing something. He, he And with everybody that tells him, I'm right there with you, bro. It just fuels Nobody him. is, though. I don't. I don't see one. I, I look through all the comments. There's got to be some. I people. haven't seen. I'm telling you, man. You guys can send it to me in an email. I haven't seen one comment from anybody on this guy taking this guy's side for the way he's acting. I haven't seen one. Well, then he's just one of these people that loves the bitch. Yeah, dude. But I mean, it, it, that's the thing is people love to hate, and attention is attention. Like if they were to tour, obviously they can't right now. But if they were to tour during this nonsense, during this nonsense right now, I bet more people would show up to their show. Oh yeah, it would be. Was well, he would it would have to be like Midwest. It would have to be like red well, states and stuff like that. Because again, like I said, people are going to go support that band because they feel mm-hmm. like. The opposition is trying to take them down 
trying to because the opposition is trying to take him down for his beliefs. So they're like, no, we're we're fighting there with you, bro. We're gonna drop the ten dollars to see you down at uh, the cr- rib shack or whatever the hell place you're playing, you know, or the, the rib shack. Or the rib shack. I saw I saw you struggle. The rib off. I don't know. The rib off. It's okay. Bands play at rib offs. Yes, there's I know. a gar a barbecue. We know about that, right? Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe there's maybe there's one for them. Anyway, so sad now. So. <laughs> The uh, I guess the the point being is that like man this dude yeah he's he's winning though because everybody's responding Ice T responded this fucking guy not once like three times and then Ice T had to be like dude I don't know who you are bro you see there's the thing first off Ice T if you didn't know who he was why are you responding I, I and, don't and so, think he knows who so, he is I so think he, he just responds, responded so yeah. he responds to a random guy and then he fires back and he's like who is this guy so then he had to Google him now he's on Ice T's radar and by the way I, did he threaten to fist fight Ice T no I, I think the way it worked out is like I said the, the how big uh, is Ice T there was no threats oh I don't know I don't know <laughs> who would win. Who would win? Ice T's like sixty-five. He'd still win easily. <laughs> easily. This guy's a drunk man. This guy would fall down what after do you one thing. Be when you grow up, cop killer. I remember. I'll, I'll tell a quick story about a, a drunk. Uh, an apartment car was like grew up out here. There was this drunk guy. He was like forty, probably. And uh, my brother was ten at the time. I was nine, and he would always be at the pool screaming at us because we didn't have parents with us. We were we were allowed to swim at nine and ten without parents, right? And so this guy always just like all these cans of empty regular Budweiser, right? Ooh. And, and just would be screaming at By us, the you way, little motherfuckers, you need to get out of here. This is my pool. And so one day he got in my brother's face. My brother was 10. This guy was about 40. And my brother hit him in the chin. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy fell on the side of the pool and rolled into the water. <laughs> And like he was out, he got knocked out by a ten. Dude, I'm telling you, he was out. Oh. I, it was like three feet of water, and I, I walked in there and I grabbed him by his hair and I pulled his head up, dude. Oh. Breathe, dude. It's you a saved story. his life. Yeah, and the guy, no, he spit right when I put it right oh. in my face. So like he was awake, right? But the point is, like him flopping in there, I'm like. I, I see this with Chris Taylor Brown on his Twitter. <laughs> I see him, the guy at the pool. You have a nine-year-old save your life, Chris? Oh, and the guy had, he always wore a tank top. So he had the, the tank top that was like the tan that was like. Oh, the wife beater? The oh. wife beater tan. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so the, yeah, they call that a. But a 10-year-old punched this guy. Maybe it was. 30, farmer's tan. Yeah, the farmer's tan. He punched my, a ten year, my 10-year-old brother, lanky as hell. Punched this guy in the chin. He flopped in. The, he, he fell on his knees and then rolled in the wall in the pool. First off, I'm going to go on record and say. Mm-hmm. This is this is apartment I mean, complexes. I if mean, you grew up in an apartment, everybody, this happens all the time. I mean no disrespect. Yeah. But when you said empty cans of Budweiser mm-hmm. and not Bud Light, I judged him more harshly. Is that weird? I don't that think he, so. That he doesn't care about his calorie intake? I don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is weird, actually. <laughs> <laughs> like, He'd go on. the rib off. How's that? Yeah, come on. Think about your swimmer's body. I just remember that specifically being a memory of that. But yeah, my brother. No, no, didn't it, you and your brother, didn't your brother beat up like several grownups? We fought a lot. Like I said, you grew up in an apartment complex, poor part of town. We fought a lot. But dude. I'm talking grown-ups. There was grown-ups. There, there because I fought a lot of kids. There was a kid that I beat up this kid's son, and his dad came out and said, let's fight. And my brother's like, no, nah, you're going to fight me. And yeah, he beat up the dad. <laughs> hey, dude. It's like, the thing is, is when you see... And then we egged his house. We were mean. Yeah. There was like six of us that egged the dad's house. But yeah. dude, but, but let me just say this. Or apartment. I mean, not a house, but... Yeah. Your dad, you, and, and your brother, you're, you're tall, lanky guys, but 
there's still like strength behind you. Like yeah. not you, but your brother and your dad. Super st- <laughs> but. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fighter. Growing up, I had a fight because that's right. the way it was in the neighborhood. But like, no, not a big, the last time. Not I, now. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not saying that's what I'm saying. Like, this is what happens. If you, if you're just like you said, dude, that guy, the, the front, again, I don't even remember the front, front man for Trap's name, but if he fought a 10-year-old, he'd get knocked out. That's what I'm saying. He's yes. clearly a drunk. And the, the moral of the story was, like, these people have this confidence of insanity in their yes. mind because then there's you something f- going on. And you got to find smaller 10-year-olds to fight. And, and like, yeah, you, you, like, there's always a drunk guy that's going to be like, let's do something. I'll never forget, not to get dark here, but, like, during the shooting out here in Las Vegas... There was some fucking idiot that was pointing his finger up at there, and people took pictures of him like this oh, liquid flipping courage, him off, yeah. flipping off like the bullets coming at him, right? Right. And I'm like, that's the asshole that, like, no, dude, don't, don't. I'm a tough guy right now. Like, you're just, just liquid courage. That's the, that's this guy's. This is, this is, this is my assessment of Chris Taylor Brown on Twitter, and he's winning because we're responding. But hey, so you just keep saying his name. It's, I just keep saying the name. I just keep saying the front man for Trapped, and I'm not even spelling out the, names, hey, the, the hey, name of the band. It's entertaining, and nothing's going to come of it, but I bet this is going to go on for a long time because he's loving the attention. I'm going to tell you this. There are several people that are listening to the Metal Sucks podcast right now, and they heard that this guy backs Trump, and now they're going to go back Trapped. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm telling you. You think so? I'm just telling that's how that's how divided we are in this nation. Like yeah. people will go to shit that they really don't like just because of who they support. I know that he did uh say that he was gonna sue Metal Sucks because of an article they put on there. I, I believe about Ice T. He said that on his Twitter. Wow. If you go look at it. And uh again, God. ridiculous. See, but hearing that we, we just, would I would love to I mean, again, I'm not gonna tell somebody there are to times sue when my I bosses, feel like, but the point is is like I, I would love to see what the fuck kind of loss that you can get. Like, if you read this guy's Twitter insanity, it's like, you cannot get a lawsuit, dude. There are times when I feel sorry for piling on a guy like this, and mm-hmm. then I hear that, and I go, no, it's just right. I, we're, I doing, we're doing we're the We're doing the work. right thing. We're doing the right thing I making fun of this guy. I just wish we didn't react to guys like this. I wish the attention didn't go the way of, fuck you, like when Trump puts out a tweet and all these people retweet it and yell about it. Like, I wish it just went away and ignored it. That's I the president. It. That's different. So let's not say the president, but somebody like this, we should be able to say fuck you and ignore this guy. Absolutely. Especially someone at the level of like, you know, iced tea. So I don't know whose side I'm on, but I, this guy sucks, man. My brother would knock him out when he was drunk. <laughs> he would flop in the pool. He's probably drinking at the a, Los Palomas apartments. He's probably drinking a Budweiser right now. Oh, I guarantee you. So red can. <laughs> Ugh. Disgusting. With that, until next week when uh, Chris Taylor Brown gets in a fight with Rihanna and it'll be on the right. Metal Sucks podcast. Hold on a second. I see has something to say. Shoot you so bad, my dick's hard. With that, with that wonderful notion from Mr. Ice T, let's jump into my interview with John Keevil of Warbringer. Everybody, what's going on? Petter, Metal Sucks Podcast on the phone. I got John Keevil from Warbringer. We are here to talk about the follow up to Woe to the Vanquish, Weapons of Tomorrow. It's coming out April 24th. John, man. So we were just talking about, uh, you just released a second single, technically Firepower Kills was released a while back. I know you guys have been playing that live, but you released your second single just recently. And um, because of what's going on, it's getting kind of misinterpreted. But a lot of the stuff you write lyrically, if anybody that's followed your career, is always going to be kind of based on the subject of history, which you follow and study and do all that stuff. So tell me a little bit about the lyrical content about Weapons of Tomorrow. 
Well, uh, the lyrical content goes all over the place. Uh, it's in contrast to the last record, Woe to the Vanquished, which is very heavily uh, historically themed with different uh, different periods. I'll pick and choose kind of anything I, that I think is interesting. And each song's kind of, on our last few records is sort of a self-contained concept. So there isn't like an overarching concept for the record, but each song... Basically, I need an idea to write the song about. I, I can't get started writing a song. I'm not one of those people that can just write, like, whatever the hell goes there. I, I have to start from an idea. So um, every single song has kind of its own idea, but it ranges from uh, historical. Uh, in the case of the single we just put out, The Black Hand Reaches Out. It's about, uh, you know, I'm talking about the Franz Ferdinand assassination. Um 1914 kicks off the first you know eventually starts the first world war and it's a terrorist plot pretty much so i thought that was a cool subject for a song um but there's also uh one thing to note about warbringer is it goes completely out of the realm of the historical slash future civilizational stuff and uh i've actually write some personal lyrics on the record too if you look at songs like defiance of fate unraveling or uh aspects of uh, Notre Dame King of Fools deal with like personal isolation and depression and those kind of themes. Whereas like firepower kills and the title of the album weapons of tomorrow is sort of about the scary progression of weapons in the last 150 years, just applying the, the genius of modern science to killing because believe me, they have, and it works, you know, mm -hmm. um, so the, the record goes all over the place thematically. And we're jumping between the historical and the future, as well as the interper the the personal. So uh, pretty much, we got ten songs with ten different ideas on them. I guess is, is my uh, tagline. Excellent. And dude, you study weapons pretty well. I, I am correct on that. Like I, I remember having conversations with you, and you were telling me about these amazing just knowledge of like guns and certain things, like from wartime. I'm not talking about like just normal things. Is, it, is that fair to say? Yeah, and it's, I mean, if, if you want to study weaponry, peacetime's not the place to look either, really. But uh, yeah, I, I study a fair share of military history and uh, war history in general. I'm interested in tactics and strategy. Uh, my own personal studies are really focused on everything from like Napoleon Bonaparte through the Second World War. So I couldn't tell you as much about uh, like, you know, the last 20 years or whatever. But I, I'm, I'm interested, but I just don't know it like uh, like the stuff I really know well. And uh, I'd also point out I'm not an expert, though. I'm uh, I'm in my studies. I'm not completed. So, like, you shouldn't confuse me for a guy who, like, whose book you should read on this. I, I'm reading those guys' books, and that's where I know what I know. Yes, absolutely. So with that, though, <laughs> with your studies, though, dude, like, what time, what period do you feel, um, I guess, humanity had the the least amount of compassion or empathy for fellow man? Oh, Christ, that's a hard one to mm. answer. And it's uh, it's mainly just because there's no shortage of options. I mean, shit, you want to talk about like there doesn't seem to be a time where people are nice to other people. And uh, that was kind of the theme behind the last record. Woe to the vanquished. Uh, what that phrase meant in the time it was said and what it kind of means as a proverb sort of is uh, more or less mercy won't be given to to the weak and the losers because how are they going to demand mercy for themselves how are they going to enforce that the person who conquered them be merciful they can't you know uh and you know 
before uh, before the modern uh, the coronavirus news thing hit, uh, I was digging into all this stuff about modern surveillance societies and the, you know the you got the the Uyghurs in China who pretty much are living in an open air surveillance prison. And uh, this is modern stuff. You know, it's not so some of the scary totalitarian stuff that we think of as being very the last century. Uh, there's kind of, you know, just because that hasn't uh, been as prominent in the world as it was when it was horrific doesn't mean it's not there. and doesn't mean it's not still a threat that a couple changes in the sphere of world politics could bring these, you know, human crises back to the forefront again. Um, in fact, I'd argue that with the technology of the modern state, if we ever get to these completely authoritarian, uh, totalitarian systems again, that it could be worse. Uh, one thing I often say is that all the secret police of you know the past century, say the NKVD for the Soviet Union or the Gestapo for Nazi Germany or the, the Stasi for, uh, for East Germany, who are really the wizards of uh, gathering information on their own citizens – uh, those guys would those guys would drool if they ha had access to the stuff that Google has now that you're giving them because you're on Instagram, you know, uh, so to speak. That that kind of I, I don't, Google doesn't own Instagrams; it's Facebook. But you get the uh, that's the idea here. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of data that civilians are just giving out that's being mined, that's being sold. Uh, if, if there ever was a totalitarian secret police to take advantage of it, you bet they would. They would love it. That's ideal shit for that kind of uh, agenda and worldview. So uh, I kind of often delve into kind of horrific stuff in my lyrics, kind of, uh, because I, I'm sort of the opposite. I'm a pacifist humanitarian, and I sort of, uh, my, my hope is that the world has sort of learned its lesson from the last century and we're able to move past it. But to get back to your original question, there isn't one time. You could go from uh, the, the fall of Carthage to the Mongols burning down the Khwarezmian Empire to the, you know, to the forced famines in the Soviet Union when Stalin collectivizes agriculture to, uh, to either World War, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't stop uh, Human history is just this barrage of unbelievable cruelty, and yet everything was built within that. So there's all this, like, when you really dig into that, there's some really scary and ugly stuff to unpack. And Warbringer, uh, as an artistic endeavor, is me unpacking that, basically. Yes, dude. And when you say that, you're, to know your enemy, though, is kind of a, I don't want to say enemy, but to know the opposite side of the fence, like thought process-wise, when you say you're a pacifist, there is something important to that, right? When you do dis right. discuss and, and yeah, exactly anything like that. And, and again, like, like let's take for example, like a, when we talk about past tense, past times, things like that. The media has something that that is is a un unstoppable force in our life. Can we also credit the media for um, less destructive behavior in politics? Do you think? I think that uh, the way that the culture of the society forms itself, and the media is a part of this, is going to uh, dictate the processes and things that result. So, uh, yeah, I think if we had a more constructive media outlet uh, than what we have, which is very divided, very partisan, very, uh, very much about my side, your side, and not about policy issues, uh, I'm very distraught by the number of people talking about 
basically my here's my two cents if people are talking about say a political candidate or an idea and they're talking about the person and and, and not the idea they have you can safely assume they're an idiot mm-hmm. uh, that's my that's my two cents if, if you're talking uh anything other than policy fuck off but uh <laughs> i think the the media cycle is very much designed to avoid exactly that because then you can kind of uh you can run a system that operates for the really really rich well kind of waving you know waving the magician's hands in front of everyone else and i think the media is very complicit in that and that they know they're doing that and i think a large percentage of the population knows they're doing that it's not like there's some grand unknowable conspiracy it's quite the opposite it's right in your face it's damn simple look at the concentrations of wealth we're dealing with there's a vested interest in wanting to hold on to those no shit you know uh so usually i i think that uh one needs to look at interests first and foremost to find out why stuff's happening and uh your earlier statement about the know your enemy thing absolutely uh bad guys and and evil so to speak or i'm not a moral relativist i think evil's a real thing uh i'm an atheist too so you know unpack all that yourself but uh (laughs) i do think that um why bad stuff happens in the world that's my overarching principle Mm -hmm. and here's the thing no people that do evil in the world aren't the bad guy from the movie that's the thing no one in the world i don't think anyone thinks they're the bad guy the most evil people you could name bring them on the most evil ones the mass murderers everybody they like no one has gone and died in battle for for evil and the people who are doing basically large-scale evil in the world are able to rationalize it to themselves as either good or a necessary evil to bring about good and i think that when you dig into that then the whole thing actually becomes a lot scarier. You're not dealing with cartoon characters. You're dealing with real people. Um, and so, you know, name any horrible thing that's happened or is happening. Someone thinks it's a good idea. Mm. And, and often, you know, it's not just someone. It's someone thinks it's a good idea and is able to mobilize enough support for that to now be a thing that is enacted in the world on a large scale. Uh so anyway, you know, we've had in America today, we've had a few decades of kind of stomping on the middle class. And uh, judging by the way, the next election's looking, we're going to get another one. Yeah. And then we just did bring up uh, the pandemic that we're dealing with the coronavirus type thing. And, and the th- I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to say anything pro negative. I don't know the best results. I don't know all the facts. Pro either. or anti-disease? What, what side is there to come down on here? I'm anti Oh, I, I, I meant pro. <laughs> I know what you're saying, but no, I meant like, uh, I'm not going to say like, I know the answer or the proper way to, to handle the situation. You know, I just have to pay attention. We don't know all the facts. Um, in our lifetime, uh, when I in, in my lifetime, the only times I saw panic like this kind of was like Y2K, and that was legitimately kind of a joke, you know, even though it was sold very convincingly to uh, the masses. And then prior to that, I don't remember it, but just doing research when the AIDS epidemic occurred, I think there was this insane panic as well. But same thing, people didn't know the answers for a long time, so they're going to fill in the blanks, you know. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And with this, though, the only thing that I see that I think I can say without sounding like a fool is that 
the the economy that is going to get hurt and the people that are going to get hurt once again is going to be the poor to middle class because a lot of the jobs that are going to get affected by this economic change or break if we may or stoppage as we take care of this problem is going to be those who live paycheck to paycheck is that is that a fair statement you think I mean, who? Yeah, if you're not living from paycheck to paycheck, you're going to be hurt less by the same loss. It's pretty obvious. Uh, I think you're certainly right to say that. Um, yeah. It's, uh, so for <laughs> it's funny. I just got into stocks like two or three months ago, and and you know I only got a couple grand in there, but we got cleaned out. I lost like a quarter of everything. Now this was an experiment on my part. I'm not. You know, I'm not going to be in the street because of this or anything. And, and in the long run, I might be able to capitalize on the bear market because I see that the prices are really low right now. And that's what Benjamin Graham that I'm reading is telling me. Uh, so any, that's that's another thing. But I'm just like, wow, what that's really showing me is, wow, like the amount of uh, global impact, not just the actual thing can happen, but the speculation around it is almost like even bigger. And this isn't to say it isn't a big thing just that the speculation is even larger mm-hmm. That's the- <laughs> and the impacts of that speculation and what people are doing based on what they think is going to happen is a, I think a lot of what's creating uh, so much of the like financial and geopolitical upheaval as well as the strictly health issues. Yeah. dude, And, and I mean, but that panic, it, it's kind of, taught to modern day societies i think with the 24 7 news cycle that we have and it's been a while now i think about filling that time if you're a newscaster i have to fill 24 hours of news now i think there is that much amount of news but again when it's for money for profit they're only going to focus on the things that are going to push us in a direction regardless i don't even i don't even think there's a master plan of pushing people in a direction it's just ratings and i feel that by doing that, in a lot of ways, the people that are going to panic the most are the people that can lose everything the fastest, you know? And that's, that's, that's what scares me is because I think that whoever can sell more can almost, I don't know, can almost, whoever can promise more can almost win over um, a generation opposed to actually following through, having actions match words, things like that. I think you're damn right. Uh, I think here's the basic problem with honest news. Uh, First off, so in California here, there's a place nearby uh, a couple hours up the coast. It's a mansion. I've never gone there because I I hate these kind of things. I think they're gross. But uh, there's this enormous mansion with a gold-plated like pool and everything. It's called Hearst Castle. It's called a castle. It's really just a mansion. But it's such a big mansion, they had to call it a castle. Um, this guy, William Randolph Hearst is from back in the early 20th century. He, he was, came up with something called, uh, or was a proponent of something they called yellow journalism. What yellow journalism was is basically, you're not trying to inform, you're trying to entertain. And what that means is you don't really care as much about, you, you can be a little judicious. Uh, you don't have to be judicious with the facts rather, um, you can, so, for instance, one of his big stories, uh, there's a, there was a minor conflict called the Spanish-American War where a U.S. battleship blew up in a port and no one knew, no, knew who did it. So he put out these articles that basically strongly imply that it's the Spanish and that we should go to war with them. Why? Because that's exciting. 
basically, if you read his article, oh, the Spanish were behind it? Jesus Christ. And you're angry already. It comes off emotionally charged and loaded. And people react to that way stronger than they do a purely cerebral and rational argument. Why? Because the purely cerebral and rational argument can't have emotional content or it wouldn't be balanced and fair. You're going to you have a natural human bias. And I think everyone does to want to go for the thing that grabs you by the heartstrings. And that's actually exactly what you shouldn't do or you'll get led around everywhere. And uh, it's not just a you specifically like there. There's a bit in Men in Black where Tommy Lee Jones says a person is smart. People are stupid. Yes. Philosophy from the 1990s film Men in Black. Uh, but They're on to something with that, I really think. And uh, where it's not so much what a single person does, because like you and I are having these conversations and a lot of other people are, too. But yet the effect persists on a big picture scale where like people in general are affected by this, even though so many individuals within the whole society know that this kind of manipulation is going on and reject it it's like it's like a fish in in the sea trying not to be wet yeah that's a perfect that's how example. it feels a bit you can't you can't really get away with it because every conversation you have and every thought you have takes place in this environment you're mm, in you're right you're, you're kind of stuck with that. that's why i i'm personally like to read history more in the present news cycle because what's history it's the news cycle after everyone's done making money off of it. Then you can just look at it. But until everyone's done making their money off of it, you can't do that yet. That's a, that's a fantastic, actually, that's a great way to put it. But in, in essence, though, because with the modern day media and the history that we're living, me and you, like in modern times, do you look back with the same way and be like, this is biased? There is really nothing honest here. This is just a presentation. And I have to have doubts about what I'm reading, even though it's been you know years gone. You want a trip? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 33 right now. If you want a trip, they're starting to come out. You can go and watch documentaries now about history, like year 2000 through like 2016 or so. Mm -hmm. You can watch now past tense documentaries about that and going through the news cycle, basically, as you experienced it. But from like a detached third party thing really puts a lot together and it kind of makes you realize wow we're in we're in a new stage of world history now uh we're not you know we're now in the 90s growing up we were in this kind of new uncharted post-cold war one world power situation world that we've been living in the next real change and people said it was a huge change at the time september 11th kind of seems to have been a marking stone for basically the next stage which is the relative decline of the United States. And I hate to say it, I wish it weren't so, but I got I to gotta report on what I see. And I think uh, if you look at prosperity within the country, uh, on, that, you know, on that angle, overall prosperity, not now how much GDP the economy is cranking out, but how well the average person's living, um, that's going down. And then the other thing that's spooky is uh, I think China's system that they've developed since the late 80s with Deng Xiaoping and all that, their kind of hybrid of uh, communism and capitalism is kind of uh, better, stronger, faster, smarter than what we have now and is going to probably beat us in the 21st century. And if they win, it won't be a free century as long as that party's still in power. Nothing against the Chinese people, 
amazing culture, longest history of any civilization. Uh, I'm talking about the Chinese Communist Party. They're pretty scary. And uh, one of the things that's scary about them is they don't have to worry about a partisan divide in their own party because they, they're a one party state. So that whatever their agenda is, they can just enact it. And uh, that makes them in some ways kind of better than us uh, at getting shit done, uh, even though it's so it's, it's kind of a funny uh, return to some of the original critiques that like Plato had on Athenian democracy as it ends up, you know, we're seeing ourselves in some weird parallel of late stage Athenian democracy where it becomes, uh, you know, the sort of foolish rule by the masses voting against their own interest. And, uh, you know, I won't use the repeats itself quote, uh, trope because I think it's a trope and isn't really true, but uh, past and present sure do seem to rhyme. So I think this as a weakness, like our question as a continuing democratic society that's been around for a couple hundred years is, are we able to reform and basically keep our democratic institutions vibrant, alive and constantly changing because that's the essence of democracy? Or are we going to get this kind of stratified thing like we get in the late Roman Republic and late stage Athenian democracy, where the system ceases to work for most people that it was designed to work for, and you're going to have rotten corruption and, and the whole thing will decline. Uh, so it, it's an interesting crossroads. And I think people in general, just the fact that the metal interviewers talking about the state of the world with me, uh, the average conversation you'll have on the street, I think people, even people that don't really follow this stuff, are very much aware that we're in a time of change. Mm -hmm. It seems, it, I mean, I can't tell you what that change is going to be, but I can tell you it, it sure is happening. And uh, actually, if you just follow time in general, the rate of change has seemed to increase. And mm -hmm. so we're probably in the highest rate of change period that ever has been. I've, I've said that many times in my lifetime. So many things that were never supposed to happen seem to happen every five years. And that's from... You know, all kinds of stuff with laws, with, with many things. I did a, a documentary on John Walsh, the America's Most Wanted guy, and he was trying to say that the 20-year gap of him, what, what the tragedy that happened to his son, for anybody that doesn't know, his son was murdered, and uh, changing the laws to protect kids, it took 20 years, and in his mind, he thought it would take 100. Like, it just took so much faster, because it's, yeah. it's easier now to somehow... I don't know what the word is, but it, it's easier now for some people to empathize, maybe, you think? Or do you, do you think it's just em more sympathy? Empathy and sympathy are, are related words, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, so, and I, I often think empathy is, or like even an imagined empathy with other people and their ideas is really important. Even if you're arguing against someone and, and you hate their guts, empathy with them is helpful, even if all you want to do is beat them in the argument, because you can understand their root thought process. You know, mm -hmm. empathy doesn't have to mean you go and give them a hug. It just means you try to understand them in their position. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, but I feel like that's more, um, modern times, I think at least in America, I feel like that, that has, I'm not saying there's, I just feel it's a different thought process that we are adapting and teaching than that in the past where it was kind of us against them you know i do feel a lot of times that the selfish mentality of me 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 instead of us 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 is is very prevalent you know and i think that that is a, a bad thing but otherwise i do think we do really well with teaching um somebody different isn't a threat than when i was yeah. even growing up you know so well 
There, that's a positive uh, thing. It's just a, it's just a positive line on on a, on a couple thought processes, I guess. Yeah, certainly, and I think that uh, you know the path of time. Basically, one of the funny things uh, about all that is if you really look at that thread of how did people with obvious uh, you know physical or belief system or value differences like go from basically a state of perpetual war with each other, which is what you see if you go back far enough, you know, mm-hmm. um, into something more coexistent. Granted, you know, the, these these things are huge issues in our society. One hears about them every, every day if you look at the news. Um, but just the fact that it's an issue being worked on in and of itself is a lot of progress from where civilization was. I think that uh, people learning to live and work together with other people who aren't like them is kind of what happens when you have global societies connecting. And one of the funny things is the bedrock for that global connection that brings all this about and kind of brings about some of the, uh, what I'd say, the one planet philosophy. I'm really into my Carl Sagan as a moral, the scientist, as a moral philosopher. I really like what he says in that regard. So some of his uh, who speaks for Earth, Earth or pale blue dot kind of theses are very much, you know, essentially the difference between all it, it comes off very humanitarian. The difference between all humans is pretty much nil. You know, uh, if people exist on an individual level, not these group levels, you know, um, and, and I think traveling the world really reinforces that you you don't find uh, people behaving according to generalities. They, 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 you know, there's a whole set of behaviors and everyone does their own and there, you can find any kind of viewpoint or behavior with any within any group you care to name whether that's a an ethnic group or religious group or even like a subcultural group like heavy metal fans or i don't know heavy metal fans in las vegas you can narrow it or widen it however you want um but actually that's something uh warbringer thing you know basically one of my thoughts about the band is that we're basically ultimately in favor of that message of human togetherness which is very much a hippie music thing to do, I suppose. But we're kind of that message delivered in reverse. So I, I often joke that, uh, you know, hippie music of the 60s and 70s tends to have this like kind of how wonderful would it be if there was if there was world peace? And I think what uh, what thrash metal does is basically goes like, ah, but there isn't, you know? And that's sort of the artistic statement that bands like us make, I think. And that's what one reason I kind of want to write about the real world and stuff I see in it, uh, past and present and imagined future, uh, because I, I think that uh, if you, you need something to be angry about and to fight against and get mad about the shortage of it. Yeah, dude. No, that's that's. I love that thought. That's a great idea. So, first time I got to talk to you, John, it was a, it was a while back. It was right after Empire's collapse, right? And you guys were on tour with Enforce for the first time, and um, okay. you um, you know at that time it was like a, it was a, we're, we're, we weren't sure. And you're like, I'm gonna put out this record out of perseverance. I'm gonna be stubborn. I'm gonna make this happen. And then you put out Woe to the Vanquished, which was one of our favorite records of the year. Um, got critical acclaim put you guys really way up there with this, the, whatever they called the neo-thrash movement at the time. So through your perseverance from that empire's collapse phase to now, I mean, it seems like the grass got real green after it, it got uh, dark for a second there. Can you tell us about how you guys are feeling right now? Well, well basically, uh, so what happened here, what's going on is basically Warbringer was initially founded by myself and John Locks. 
Adam Carroll joined like right after, but initially it was a pro, you know, for like a, all of a month or so, it was just us two in the band. Uh, his brother Andy was there, but he and I were like, we had the vision, we wrote the songs, we did everything. And I didn't even, I had never written a song before in my life. So this guy, John Locks, is very important to me because he and I, you know, he was the vehicle and me, you know, by which. I was able to write songs and I was a vehicle through which he was able to write his songs. So we had this really like brotherly songwriting partnership. Um, and I lost that. He quit. He lost his enthusiasm for the band and, and for thrash metal music and all of this stuff. Uh, got beat to death by touring and didn't want to do it anymore. So this feeling is part of why Empire's Collapse is such an eclectic record that's all over the place is because John Locks had been sick to death for like eight years at that point of everyone saying like retro thrash, neo thrash, uh, you know, and he's like, God damn it, I'm trying to write songs. We got so sick of that. I'm sick of it, too. But he like hated it. And, eventually, and, you know, so we did this one record where that doesn't look like a neo thrash record at all and has all this wild, wacky, experimental stuff on it. And we pretty much wanted to make that feel like, if you still say we just sound like Slayer, you're not even paying attention, you know? And uh, so I think that was an important step in our career. But what happened there, too, is this was as the band's crumbling. The guy on the cover is, like, how we felt at the time. And it, it wasn't planned to be that way, but it sure came out that way. Um, so I was really convinced I wasn't going to make music again, because how would I? The guy by which I wrote songs in the first place, you know, who, who was my songwriting partner, the guy I learned how to write songs with, is gone. And the rest of the band pretty much went with him. So it was me and Adam Carroll, uh, who's been stalwart and stuck through it all. Um, what happened was, about a year, year and a half after that, we get Carlos Cruz, who's now interested in doing the band again after the dust had settled on all that. He had some family stuff going on that had, you know, that came and went that was a concern for him at the time. Uh, so that was over. That was off his plate. And he's like, you know, I miss it. I want to go back to it. And so Woe to the Vanquished and Weapons of Tomorrow are really the 2.0 of the band. Mm. Because the first time it was myself and John Locks and Adam Carroll as the songwriting core. And now it's myself, Carlos Cruz, and Adam Carroll as the songwriting core. So I pretty much had to rebuild that kind of close working relationship that I learned to write music with, with an entirely different person, Carlos Cruz. Uh, I'd worked with Carlos a little on the songwriting on uh, World's Torn Asunder and Empire's Collapse. Uh, guy plays a lot of instruments, really talented dude. But it takes time to build up that kind of partnership. Uh, and fortunately, I think we've managed to succeed there, and the current... Uh, songwriting partnership is I, I feel is like even better than the one I started with. So uh, that that fifth record, "What of the Vanquished," felt like our phoenix moment, you know, where we're like the bird rising from the ashes and all that. That's how I really felt with that, where I thought I was dead. Not not other people were telling me I was dead or the haters were trying to keep me down. I thought I was dead. I thought I was done for. And I get this kind of wind in my wings uh, from the fan base basically saying we like what you do keep doing it and i'm like all right I'll, I'll give this a try kind of exhaustedly i do and we end up making what i think is the best record we have to date hands down mm -hmm. so it, it was a real uh, feeling of triumph for me and now with this sixth record it's just keeping that wind in our sails keeping moving keeping the momentum and showing people that you know, that wasn't a one-time fluke. We didn't get, like, energized for this one record. No, we have a real second lease on life for this band, and it's even stronger than the first. I think we made four strong records before, and I think we made 
two absolutely killer records after. Uh, so I couldn't be prouder of it. And I think that uh, sort of the, the glance, the sort of uh, near-death experience the band had actually really sharpened it because we kind of were able to rejoin all this with more uh, thankfulness and appreciation for where we are and what we have been able to accomplish. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's what I have to say about that. Excellent, dude. And it's so true. The new record, guys, Weapons of Tomorrow, which is coming out again April 24th, it's it's just it's it's so different to me. It's different than Woe to the Vanquished, but it is like the step up. Like you guys, Woe to the Vanquished was great, but a lot of the things that I think were so tight, you guys take more chances on this record. You brought up songs like Defines a Fate, Heart of Darkness, uh, Notre Dame, being personal, but those songs are also very epic. They the what was it? The, when the guns fell silent was a song that ended Woe to the Vanquished, but it also changed kind of how I saw the band, if I'm allowed to say that. And Oh, cool. Good. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it continues on with this, with this album as well. It's, it's, it's very hard to label you guys where it, you know, obviously the past is going to follow, but it's very hard to label you guys anymore as this or that. Cause there's so much progression. There's so much heaviness. There's you know so much driven by different instruments on different songs. You know, I think about Notre Dame and the drums on that and I'm like, wow, it's 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 just such a, a different experience. So that's gotta come with time. But you know, as a fan, I just want to say what you just said that these last two records are the pinnacle of your guys' career, it's it's very true. And now how do you maintain that? Is it just because you're older now and you've learned so much that you think that, hey, you know, now our voice really makes sense to my life in any way? Is is there any part of this like I guess personal life side that comes in with how, the music? how I maintain it after so how I maintain the standard on the last record and bring it forward to this one is a question I'm, when we did the last one, I was kind of like well, on one hand, I'm a, I'm so glad this came out as wonderful as it is. Uh, I never like listened to our own music for enjoyment before. Just the fact that it's me always put me off to it. But yet, I try to write music that would be like my favorite metal if I heard it. Since Woe to the Banquet, I can just straight up enjoy ourselves, and I can really like what I've and and the band have accomplished. And that was a real change uh, psychologically for me, as I can just stand. I can like put on my own work and be like, yes, I think this is great metal. Um, and one of the problems though, is once I kind of turn that corner to where I'm always like, you need to be better. You need to be better. And where I'm like, Oh, I'm happy now. Um, once I get there, I go, fuck, how am I going to top this? Cause I don't want to put out a next record and have it be a dip from, you know, I don't want to make a record that people are saying, you know, that they love as much as they do. And then, you know, and have that be a one-time fluke. So it's uh, how I follow this one up. I have no idea, but I didn't know last time either. Uh, I think what allows us to do this is Warbringer is kind of in this sweet spot for creativity's sake where we're successful enough, you know, that I'm on this interview and you might know who we are, but we're not successful enough that we're like in any way comfortable doing this. It's been a struggle since day one. It continues to be. Um, and I think for music, that's actually a pretty good spot to be uh, because you see what happens, like just follow the creative output of any, basically any really famous metal band or a rock band or anything. And you'll see usually the ones after they're already really huge and famous are not their finest works. You know, it might've been the one that got them there and then there's a dip. So 
I, I think that uh, and that's not always the case. That's a generality, mm-hmm. of course. But, you know, the, the most famous example everyone would look at is like, oh, 80s versus Latter-day Metallica, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so really, for me, I don't ever want to put out a record that I think is weaker than the previous one. Because as a fan, I'm so militantly against it. And don't even try to talk metal with me. You'll get mad. I, I'm so picky about so many things. I, one has to be uh, in order to write the stuff in any serious, critical way, I think. Um, so it's, it's more like just I try to take whatever I liked on the last record and carry it forward. I think the real difference uh, songwriting and structurally between this and the last one is on the last record, like you said, that one epic track is at the end. Uh, I think it changes who the band is is as far as people see it, because uh, I think before, you know, people saw us as something more like, oh, this is an aggressive, fun band, you know, you put it on and you'll get like a three, four minute song, it'll kick your ass. And I think there's a big difference between a band that just does that and a band that's like, oh, and they wrote this ambitious, epic concept piece, you know? Um, and to be able to do both. And I think that's kind of what we always wanted, because I think a lot of our favorite metal bands kind of have that, that they have the songs that will just punch you in the gut right away and you'll, you'll catch them on the first listen. But then you dig into it and there's more. And then at the end of the album, there's the 10 minute plus epic that you have to listen to 10 times just to, to remember it all. And then once you do, it's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to have all those things covered. And I pretty much want to continue our songwriting in what I see as the tradition of uh, the spirit of classic metal. And that's, that includes thrash, but also, also heavy, uh, doom, death, black, etc. We'll take from any of it because uh, the genre we're in is actually not a narrow genre. People often say crash, uh, thrash metal is this uh, creatively, is like this creative dead zone. And I'm like, what are you smoking? You must not know your thrash metal very well. There's a ton of different sounds you can go for from stuff that like borders on straight uh, dirty punk rock into stuff that borders on like tech prog, you know, which is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So uh, I think that what Warbringer really does is we're just willing to look at that entire pool of ideas that all thrash has had, which dips in and out of its own genre a lot. And to kind of uh, try to be all of it to some extent at once, rather than, uh, aiming for like one channel or another you know we're not all about mosh riffs we're not all about shred solos we're not all about melody solos or uh any of that we're brutal but it's not the only emotion we do uh so i think that really i guess you might call us uh our sound is a retroactive look at all of our favorite parts of the entire canon of thrash and extreme metal kind of boiled down to the parts we like the most <laughs> nice dude and that's another thing about the live experience you guys did play that song many times live when the guns fell silent i was lucky enough to see it a few times and um it it changes the dynamic it changes the the live show and and it's just a a fantastic track but on this record heart of darkness same feeling you know so um not not as long not as epic but same feeling you know so it's such a a great thing to promote this as always with every release warbringer guys Six records in, have never let me down. Fantastic. Really knocked it out of the park. Following up one that I thought was one of the best records of 2017. I want to tell you guys one more time, Weapons of Tomorrow. Pre-order it April 24th, guys, for sure. With that, John, always a pleasure to talk to you, man. You were one of the first guys that let me interview them. 
And uh, huh. as far as seven years later I go, um, it's, it's, I'm always going to try to get you right on this program so we can talk because you're still one of my favorite interviewers. So I want to thank you again for the opportunity, man, to let me talk to you. Ah, shucks, man. You're making me bluff. Well, I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me here. And uh, I'll come on anytime you call me.
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
All right, guys, and we are back. First song you heard is off the latest record, Weapons of Tomorrow, guys, coming out this Friday, April 24th. Pre-order it. First song is called The Black Hand Reaches Out. Second song, Glorious End. Both on the new record, guys. Make sure you're pre-ordering it. Fantastic album. I'm a huge fan of it. With that, I want to thank everybody one more time for the five-star reviews you guys keep giving us on iTunes. That's all we ask for as a team out here. That's all. We don't ask for anything else. If you can uh, find it in your heart to go to the Apple iTunes, click five stars on that. That is truly all we try. And it's, an, it's a question we're asking. This is not a command. No. We're letting you do it on yeah. your own. Yeah, be headstrong. Do it yourself. <laughs> don't you shut. Don't you tie in. <laughs> don't tie in what I just said to headstrong. <laughs> And uh, if you guys want to check out our other podcast, our documentary podcast, Rise to Offend, that one is available as well. Five-star reviews on that. Same thing we're asking for this week. We are doing a subject we all love here in the metal world. We are doing uh, Dave Brocky. I will say that Guar, when I was 14, mm-hmm. that was like one of those bands. That was a pivotal band for me. It was a pivotal band for, I think, a lot of people. You need comedy to get into metal. Metal was too serious for some kids. You're like, dude, stop with this posturing. Your and socks, they-, they smell. Your feet, they stink. You never take a bath. Ugh. That's all that mattered to you? It's, it's just that song was just sick of you. It was like the first, that was the one thing that introduced me to that. And it's a basic rock song. It's not even really that much of a metal song, but it's just the funniest fucking thing I ever heard. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm very looking forward to uh, cutting clips together of uh, Odorous's interviews. That's for damn sure. So with that, guys, if you guys are interested, rise to offend.com on that one. And until next week, everybody stay safe out there. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.